Mama Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, Lorenzo? Wonderful. Fantastic. Eating a lot of cookies. Oh, my goodness. We had our cookie exchange <laughs> party last weekend, and now there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 Christmas cookies in our freezer. And however, uh, we have divided them, you know. Yes, but the funny thing is, like, we don't really have any major um, um, crisis. <laughs> no, what's uh, entertaining to do? Like, that was our big party. So now we have 100, 180 cookies, and it's like, all right, well. Let's let's be judicious about eating them because the two of us could each polish oh off ninety God. cookies in a week. Oh yeah! And as I'm always reminding Lorenzo, this is not Chips Ahoy, like <laughs> home baked goods. <laughs> not that Chips Ahoy are healthy, but uh, home home baked goods have a lot of butter and sugar in them. So we're trying to be judicious. There, we had one of our bags. Yes, we divided them into Saturday separate bags. into six bags. Yes, and um, so. We had one of our bags this week. And, and we're not allowed to just open the second one. As soon well, as this is what happens is, um, <laughs> well, I should backtrack here. Um, the last two Christmases, like most of us, last Christmas, we were on sort of semi-lockdown right. because COVID had surged again. Several family members had gotten it at the last minute. And we wound up canceling. Like, we were supposed to have a guest last Christmas, and we told him not to come because we were like, he was going to take the train. And we were like, what if he catches COVID? And then he stuck on our couch for like three weeks. Oh, I know. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah, remember? So, it, and then the week, the year before, obviously, was Christmas 2020, and we didn't even see family or friends during that Christmas. So, what we did the last two Christmases was eat our faces off <laughs> uh, like most of us and um this year we were like can we no. please can yeah. we please not do that and uh, i i enjoy my christmas food very very much but i also enjoy fitting in my clothes on january right. 1st right so <laughs> and we want to appreciate them because they're they're homemade and yeah. they're delicious and special so not just it's all know. family and friends <laughs> who make these cookies so it's you know it's fun to open them up weeks later and right. remember that family and self-discipline <laughs> well self-discipline <laughs> is not a bad thing um so that went off without a hitch the house looked great um i did some you, even you said last night you were like I don't know what you did but your you said my food was a notch higher this year yeah that it was better it was better I thought I didn't think I didn't think it needed any improving but apparently no <laughs> I'm just joking it keeps getting better I don't know why I don't know anyway uh, anyway so the house is clean and we're exhausted um it's been a busy week i am week. a little pleased that because normally second week in december heading into the third there's no celebrity yeah. content at all but, but it's been busy yeah it's been really busy the barbie trailer dropped today it's freaking hilarious it is hilarious um we are of course going to follow up on last week's podcast which was yes. devoted to the first three episodes of um megan it's harry and megan not megan and harry it's harry and megan I keep getting it wrong. Is it? I thought it was Megan and Harry. Anyway. Hmm. Wait, now I have to look. I think it's you Megan and Harry. You talk while I look. I think it's Megan and Harry because I... No, it's Harry no. and Megan. Oh, interesting. Oh, hmm. Everyone puts her first. Hmm, telling. Anyway, we're not going to devote an entire podcast to it. We are going to devote the back half of this podcast to that. And I can hear a bunch of you just sliding the control over <laughs> to the last 30 minutes of this podcast. And Which that's fine. Fine. Um, we're going to do some, uh, well, we figured we'd give a break to those of you who are sick of hearing anything right. about the Royal family. And I really don't blame you. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple movies this week since we didn't get to talk about any last week. Um, the first of which is the Banshees of Inisherin, uh, which I, I didn't even know this. I wish we had gotten to this a little earlier. It's actually out on HBO max as of today or yesterday. We watched a screener. We've had the screening for, uh, couple months and well a month or so right but um but that's actually good we're going to talk about the film and you can go and watch it tonight or whenever based on our recommendation although my recommendation is going to come with some uh with a, a warning um and then after that we're going to talk about steven spielberg's the fablemans which i have been turning over in my head for many days now not necessarily mm. because i think it's a particularly thought-provoking film but because I'm trying to unpack why I have such a, I don't have a negative reaction. I have a more of a, hmm, you know, it's all right sort of reaction to it when all the critics seem to adore it. And I am generally 
Um, I don't want to say an apologist for Spielberg, but I think I understand Spielberg as a director pretty well. And just last year, I said West Side Story was an absolute masterpiece. And, right. and as the years go by, that film is going to be seen as one of the cappers of his career. Uh, I think he's a very talented director. And uh, I'm apparently in disagreement with the critics on this one because I, I don't love this film. I don't hate this film, but we'll talk about it. We'll unpack it. Banshees of Anna Sharon by director Martin McDonough. Uh, who was a playwright, and uh, he directed um, Three Billboards Outside. Oh. Yeah, he did that. And he was criticized at the time because he really didn't seem to understand American racial politics all that well. He's a British-Irish playwright. Um, but uh, this is, Banshees of Anna Sharon is the third piece he's done about the Aran Islands. It's something of a trilogy. He wrote two other plays they weren't made into movies set on the Aran Islands, uh, which are the islands right off the coast of Ireland. Um, and they sort of act as a, even though I don't think the stories are particularly connected, they take place at various times, but he clearly as a playwright and writer has a fascination with the Aran Islands, with the culture there. Um, a hundred years ago when this film is set, it was a lot more isolated. Um, Oh, I was wondering how like how far back they went uh, because it does look very empty. There's nothing there. Ah. Yeah, I mean it's a hundred years. It's 1923 is when it's set. Interesting. Um, starring um, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and Kelly Condon are the are the oh and um, um, Barry Keegan. Yeah, Barry Keegan. Yes, uh, who is spectacular. Oh my god! Actually, the whole cast is just amazing in this film. <clears throat> Pardon me. Why don't you talk a little bit? I absolutely. Which one are we talking about first? Banshees first. Oh, okay. So I I love the movie. I love mm -hmm. the movie. I think the movie is absolutely beautiful. Cinematography is just incredible. I mean, the island is just you know. Uh, I kept islands, turning to right? you and yeah. saying, "What a pretty, pretty film!" Oh my god, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. The way it was shot and 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 I mean the costumes, everything about it, and there, you know the place the is direction. absolutely stunning. I mean, they're stunning but bleak. Yes, but there are scenes where they're just having a beer outside, and right. the view is just insane. This incredible uh, Irish yeah. vista, right? It looks of like a sea painting. and green and sky. Sometimes uh, uh, you look at it and you're like, "This could be." a painting right here absolutely uh, it's just absolutely beautiful uh i was a little surprised by the story i didn't know much um actually appreciate it i mean i i'm the kind of person who can't stand any blood of any form um uh, you know so it's it, it got to a point where i was like all right maybe should i just take a break now <laughs> it's not a violent i think you're giving a, a a wrong impression however because i don't think it's not a violent no movie it's not at violent. all but as i um, said i don't like any any yeah there are scenes yeah. uh there are a couple of scenes um where there is blood but i would not characterize this as a violent movie no um i would characterize it as a dark as hell movie it is very bleakly funny and most of the time you will laugh through it. But I want to get this off right off the top because when the movie started, I turned to you and I said, oh my God, my parents would have lived for this. Yeah. It was, but actually, yeah. when the story took a turn, I was like, oh, I don't think my parents would have liked this at all. Um, if you're looking for some very charming, light view of the Irish countryside, that's not it. Uh, right. McDonough is very good at exploring the blackness in the Irish soul and the darkness in Irish storytelling. Right. And this film has that. And there was a point in... Don't get me wrong. It is very entertaining. It is mostly lightly entertaining. But the story takes a turn... And you feel like you've been punched in your stomach. And there was, and I'm not going to mention it, but I know you know what I'm talking about. There is one thing that happens where my first reaction was, in, and I'm saying this to Martin McDonough, screenwriter and director. I was like, why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. Why did you do that? Why are you showing me this? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I immediately recognized what a perfect reaction that is for an audience member to have and how that was clearly as as a storyteller he wanted you to have that reaction to this moment um it is not a film that's going to make you want to slit your wrist or anything like that but it does if you understand anything about irish poetry irish music and irish right. literature there is a black undertone to it all there is a very very dark undertone to it and this film has that so in in my view 
even though it gets dark at certain times and very sad at certain times, um, it is so purely Irish. It is so purely correct to do, to tell that story that way. To go to a dark place was the correct place to go in this story, even though it starts off quite light. Um, agree? Disagree? No, I totally agree. I thought I, I thought it was the story was incredible. I thought I also th- thought that the the whole idea of um, what I kept thinking the whole time while I was watching the movie was the, the, the whole idea of letting something go and how hard it is for some people to let something go. Um, and, uh, and to a point that they, they're so, they become so selfish about it that they really don't care uh, what happens. Uh, the as, interesting thing is, I don't know which character you're referring to here because either of the two yes, main characters I, and I think that's the could be of the it. selfish one. Yeah, it, you don't care how how far it's going to go or how far it's going to actually affect someone else, but as long as you are protected in a way that you know, you, and it, it it's very true. It made me think a lot about like letting people go, letting things go, right. and how hard it is, and sometimes you hold on to it and you just. You become very selfish about it. You don't think about anybody else anymore. Right. Um, I still don't know which one of the characters yeah, you're talking well, anyway, about. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a mar- no. Yeah. That's, that's that's nice. But it it made me think a lot. I mean, you have the character uh, by you know performed by uh, Carrie Cotton. Uh, she's insane. She's so amazing. She's Colin Farrell's sister. I'm I'm going to set up the story just so you understand what it's about. And all of this is stuff that is revealed in the first five right. to ten. When I do this, I that's just an understanding is that I'm telling you the first five to ten minutes. I'm not spoiling anything. Right. It's it's not a spoiler. So it's set in 1923, in, I believe in a Sharon is fictional. I'm it not, is fiction. Yeah. I, I, I watched an interview with them. It's fiction. Okay. Um, and it's a very, very isolated community. It is a rural community. Even though it's 1923, they essentially live like it's 1850. Um, and Colin Farrell plays Parrick, and Brendan Gleeson plays Combe, and they are, uh, you know, they have been best friends in this very isolated, tiny community. Carrie Condon plays um, Par- Colin Farrell's sister, Siobhan. Colin Farrell and Carrie Condon live together. They're siblings. Their parents died years ago. Neither of them have married. Um, And, you know, they're either middle-aged or approaching middle-aged. I got to say, Colin Farrell is an A-list actor. He sometimes does not get credit for how good an actor he is. Because I kept watching him and I'm like, how did he make himself not stunning? Because Colin Farrell is he's, stunning. He's a very handsome man. Yeah. And in this movie, he's he's almost plain looking. And, and some, they didn't do any... Right. It's, it's all acting, basically. And he has a really bad haircut in the movie. It's just, to me, when a good-looking actor like that is able to play a person who is not good-looking and doesn't resort... It's just acting. It's just acting that makes me believe him as this very average, kind of dull man, right. when in the real world, a man that looked like that in an isolated community would probably be the king, because right. he would be the best-looking man in the uh, community. I agree. I forgot that he, he was actually in the movie, and then the first few minutes, I was like, is that him? Because he was so dedicated to the role, yeah. to the character, that he, he kind of disappeared. The real, you know, right. Colin Farrell, he kind of disappeared. And I was like, wow, this is really incredible. Uh, Cara Condon, also I want to mention, she was incredible in Rome. I really like her work. And her character is so amazing and, and sad at the same time. I just and think it, she's a tribute to Irish womanhood. Yes. I mean, just the the exasperation with the men around her. Yes. And um, just the lack of patience with small-mindedness and gossips and that sort of thing. And, and just the, the fact that there wouldn't be a home without her. Like, right. Colin Farrell would not have a home without his sister doing the work. Um, and all of that is just so part of i mean it's part of a lot of cultures don't get me wrong but i i just felt it was very much a, she was in many ways a stand-in for generations of irish women um who just has no freaking patience for the stupidity of the men around her and the way they all act around her and she's very very open about it she's great now brendan gleason plays calm who was colin farrell's best friend and the gist of the story what sets the story in motion is calm brendan gleason's character has decided he does not want to be friends with parik anymore and he doesn't want parik talking to him and 
it's a tiny little community. These people all know each other, and they're the only people they know. Right. So this winds up becoming a massive disruption to the community, um, which I think is fascinating. Um, and it 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 made me think Colm, Brendan Gleeson's character, was the more... Um, selfish of the two of them. However, right. as the movie progressed, Colin Farrell's character has such a hard time dealing with this loss of friendship that he also becomes very selfish. And these two men are locked in this battle. And what's interesting about it is it's it's two men. You could say it was about toxic masculinity or something, but I have a feeling Martin McDonough would roll his eyes at that. Um because it's not two men fighting for dominance. It's not two men fighting. It's two men fighting over a friendship. That's what makes it so interesting and so sad. Colm, right. uh, Colin Farrell cannot, he, has, he basically has no other friends, and he can't process the fact that this friendship is ending. Right. Uh, I also want to touch briefly on, um, uh, I talked about this once before, I think, on this podcast. Uh, it it might have been about Belfast when we were talking about that years ago. I, I, it, this is such a strange thing to bring in. But I heard an interview with, of all people, Alec Baldwin on NPR. We were coming home from Fire Islands, and it was on the radio in Mark's car. Mm. And he yeah. said something that <laughs> I never forgot. I, I can't quote it exactly, but he talked about uh irish men reach middle age and they have so much anger built up in them that uh they tend to become very dark in their middle age and um i have a f- had a father who was like that and i myself it's something i've actually felt in my life where i'm like oh i i gotta tamp down on this darkness it's you know that sort of thing and this movie does explore that I- I- obliquely in a certain mm-hmm. oblique way the darkness uh in an irish man's soul when he reaches a certain age in his life um and to me, that was the movie. That was what the movie was about. Um, I go think, ahead. I think the movie does a fantastic job about, you know, expressing the the struggle that some people have sometimes. To to do I settle, or do I do tr- I ask for more of my life? Oh, do I ask for more of my life? Do I do I drop everything that I have around me and then try something new, or right. do I stay with? And I think. That is so interesting, and that together with the fact that you know you you having a hard time to let things go, and 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 I thought about a lot of things like you know kids when you go to college, you when you move to another country or whatever, right, right, right. Uh, you know you drop your career and you start a new job or anything, anything. Uh, I just thought it was so interesting, um, and th- that the whole idea of like you just can't let something go, and then how that affects everyone around you as yeah. well. So I thought it would. The movie did a fantastic job. Uh, Barry Keegan is my Just, god. I, he I, doesn't get an Oscar nomination. I worship. Out of this. I worship that man. I think he's such a phenomenal actor. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but he did the um, the killing of a sacred deer. Uh, which he was is, in the Eternals. He was just, in the Green uh, Knight. He's such a great. He was in Dunkirk. He's incredible in this movie, and I he mean, has such an actor's face. Yeah, such an interesting face, and you just wind up staring at it because and his lines are so funny and the way he moves his body his hands his yeah, face he's hilarious and also tragic yes, and that is everybody we, in the story yeah. is hilarious and in some ways also tragic um so i mean this might sound trite but it makes it a very human story right there is it would be interesting to have a spoiler discussion where the two of us hashed out well who was wrong here who was the wrong one but actually i don't think we'd ever come to a conclusion um the reason Colm, and again, this is first 10 minutes, uh, tells Colin Farrell's character that he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore is because Colin Farrell is just a happy-go-lucky guy in a tiny little village who doesn't ask a lot out of his life. And Colm is a fiddler. And because every Irish village had a fiddler, at least <laughs> one. Uh, and he wants to create art. He knows he's he doesn't have much time left on the earth. He's getting old. And he wants to create art, and being around his dim-witted friend is preventing him from creating art. Like that's that's some heavy stuff. That 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 unpacks a lot about right. people looking for meaning in their life, looking for expression in their life, and uh, making a choice between fulfilling yourself or just being a a kinder person to the people around you. Because you know, Colm has to be very very unkind right, right. in order to get this break to happen. He also has to be a little crazy. There, I mean, it goes to crazy places. 
Um, but it is funny. Don't get me wrong. It, it is, is funny very, too. very funny. And even the ending, after a lot of bad things happen, I would not call that a sad ending. I wouldn't necessarily call it a happy ending, but it, it was a very like, well, that's how it should end. It, it feels like a real ending. It like, feels like a real ending. You know, and by that, I mean, like, it's real. That's what would happen. That's, I mean, life doesn't have yeah. endings except for when you die. It, you know, so it that felt correct. The whole story felt like um, if you were to go to Inisherin in 2022, someone would tell the story. That story, yeah. Because it passed oh into legend God, yeah. over 100. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It fe- It's a totally fictional town. Everyone in it is fictional, but it sounds like some old Irish legend that people have passed down for generations. Because where the story goes, I mean, crazy shit happens in the story. That's true. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, and the movie is absolutely gorgeous. I, it's stunning. I do want to go to the islands now, the airline. You've always wanted visit. to go to the island. I know, always. We had a, a, a painting that we got rid of, but we had of the islands. Um, I love, I, I just love the place. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. I'm telling you, there's some shots. Where is the back of Colin Farrell um, having drinking a beer or whatever, and the view? And I'm like, my God, this is a painting right yeah. here. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. In terms of the looks of the film and and looking for meaning in things, I just want if you're going to watch it, I want you to pay attention to Carrie Condon's coat. Oh, which is very important. Not that it's important to the story, but symbolically, what it means, the way it stands out. I want you to notice that. And you'll know which coat I'm talking about because I think she wears more than one. And I want you to look at uh, Brendan's uh, cottage on the inside, what he has. Wow. Well, did yeah. you see what he had yes, on the yes, inside? Yeah. He, I'm not going to give any... I mean, it's not a spoiler. He had um, little bits and pieces of ephemera from all over the world that he probably picked up. I don't know. He didn't travel, obviously. At one point, there's a Chinese opera mask hanging yeah, from yeah. the ceiling. Um and it tells you, he, he's in this little humble cottage, just him and his dog fiddling away, but he is surrounded by artifacts, right. mostly souvenirs from all around the world. And it just tells you how much this man has wanted a bigger life than yes, the life he yes, has. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, uh, that's so true of, of so many, I, it, it reminds me of so many things. When someone looks at a postcard and dreams of traveling, you know, or, or doing things, it's, 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 it's that kind of movie. Right, that, and the flip side of that is Colin Farrell, who wants a small life. Yeah. And he keeps making his life smaller by bringing in all the animals and having them sleep in his house, which which drives his sister insane. You know, she hates that. But that's, I think that that is a deliberate construction on the part mm-hmm. of the story. One of them wants to bring the outside world into their home to make it smaller. And the other one, it just dreams of a world much bigger than the right. one that he's in. I thought the movie was unbelievably beautiful and incredible. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I just want to say that as you, I, a hundred percent is, it is one of my favorite films of the year, yes. but I, I'm all, always careful about recommendations because where this film goes could be upsetting to some people. Right. I'm just preparing you that it, it is dark and I don't mean like tons of people get killed or it's darkness of the soul. It's not, you know, it's right. not violence. It's just darkness of the soul. Um, and I think that's all I wanted to say about yeah. that. How about you? No, that's it. I'm glad it, it, it's it's getting a lot of, uh, you know, buzz and, and nominations. And so, yeah. Well, it looks like uh, the four mains are probably on their track, on the track. For, well, I don't know about Brendan Gleeson. Everyone's talking about Colin Farrell, Kerry Condit, and Barry Keegan. And I agree. All three. The thing about um, Brendan Gleeson's performance, it's great. But his performance is, is 90% silence. Because he does not want right. to talk to these people. So he sits there brooding while all of this acting goes on around right. him. I, I, I would not, it wouldn't bother me if he got nominated. But those other three, I can't imagine them not getting nominated. Uh, just as an aside, Kerry Condon was also the um, voice for Iron Man's AI in the oh, Avengers movie. Did not know after that. After he got rid of Jarvis. When you hear that Irish woman, that's her. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on, The Fableman, directed by Steven Spielberg, which is a thinly veiled memoir of his own life. A 10-hour movie. (laughs) (laughs) That long? At least it it felt like it. No, it's two two hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, it is long. (laughs) Um, I don't know quite what to say about this. I... 
let's all right let's unpack this there is an there is a very good documentary on steven spielberg that he participated in called i believe it's called spielberg and i believe it's on hbo max now we actually watched it years ago i don't remember when i said turn to you and i said i saw these films that he shot when he was a kid because they recreate this and that's where we saw them i see i don't remember but so if you would like sort of the backstory here that would all, all that would be a great place to start but um, suffice it to say, Steven Spielberg has always, always, always had issues with two things. And he's he's somewhat open about this in interviews. He's had issues with his own Jewishness. And he's had issues with his parents' marriage. And they followed him all his life. And in many ways, they have followed him throughout his work. If you unpack his work, there's an, um, an absentee father uh, motif that appears in so many of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tends to uh, revere maternal figures in his films. Um, in real life, his parents divorced and um, he didn't speak to his own father for like 10 years, 10 or 15 years, because he blamed his father for the divorce. And then he found out much later in life that actually it was his mother who who more or less initiated that. And... Um, and this film, I think, is him unpacking his own. Right. His own and I guess I, I've read stories. Uh, I just read a, an interview with Gabriel LaBelle, who plays Sammy Fableman, and who is, is essentially awesome. the Steven Spielberg character, who he talked about uh, S- Steven would cry on set. Uh, and everyone would have to leave him alone because Steven would go and have... And I've never heard stories of Steven Spielberg wow. crying on set. Uh, this was clearly a very, very personal story to him. And I sat through the whole thing thinking of Belfast Mm -hmm. because that came out a year ago, I think. It was a similar sort of film in which Kenneth Branagh did a fictionalized version of his own childhood and his parents and his grandparents. And I loved that film, even though I don't think it was high art because I think it got really sappy and sentimental. But I did love that film because it really touched me. As I said at the time, halfway through watching that film, it struck me oh, everybody's dead. Mm -hmm. This is him revering his dead. And I didn't get that with this film. Not that that's wrong. This wasn't Steven Spielberg like revering his dead. So it didn't have the sentimentality of of Belfast. This was him working through his own issues with his dead. And I don't, I don't know. It didn't affect me as deeply. And I don't, I really unpacked this because I was like, is it because they're not Irish? Am I that narrow that I can only respond to, you know, stories that where the people look like or whatever. But there really does feel like there's, he's at arm's length from the story the entire time he's doing it. Yes. Uh, that's the problem I had with the movie is that it feels like you're watching a very, very long home video. Um, it, it felt like he was just watching his own movies and he put it together and, and made a movie. I, it didn't feel like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like art to me, or there was a little bit of, uh, I don't know, art, artistic expression. It, it just, I totally agree. It just felt like, like all right, let me show you how my life was. Right. With a very, like, you know, a grease lens that it looks like it's an old home movie. Right. Um, and a video, and that's it. That's it. Um, it's, it's just dull sometimes. Um, it's just telling a story with no, I don't know. It's, it didn't it, feel cohesive to me. It didn't feel, it just felt like a very rambling look at his own youth. Um, from childhood up to about the time, I, you know, up till graduating high school. Um, and it's just a, a series of vignettes. Right. And at one point, like halfway through the film, I turned to you and I said, the only thing I'm getting out of this is that his family were all assholes. Right. They were all so annoying. Like, Michelle Williams oh my God. is freaking amazing she's, in this movie. She is amazing. But she's also so irritating <laughs> that after about 90 minutes, I'm like, okay, is this ending soon? Because this woman is driving me insane. Right. Now, granted, that is kind the of the point of the yeah. character. Um, and I do think um, that is an Oscar-worthy performance, Michelle Williams. As the the idea of her not getting nominated for this is insane. There's a scene where Sammy, Steven Spielberg makes her watch something that he he edited together from film clips. And we know what it is, and I'm not going to reveal it, but it is something that is personally devastating to her. And the camera stays on her the entire time. You don't see what she's right. watching. And she's amazing. And she starts off thinking it's going to be some fun little film that her son put together, and it turns out to be this emotionally devastating truth. And she plays the entire thing wordlessly on her face, and it is just 
exquisite I th- acting. I thought the actors were good. I, I think that's one thing about Steven uh, Spielberg is that he he really makes the actors give their best. Uh, he somehow he, he he's does. an actor's director. He's that kind of director, right? And at some point in the movie. Uh, when he's shooting videos as a child, you can see that where where that started, right. kind of like he really he's interested in 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 in, in the actors, you know, giving their best, right. and, he, and you can see that everyone is great. Uh, Gabriel uh, Labelle is phenomenal. He's really good. He's so good. And I'm like, my God, you're so young and you're amazing. His first role. He's never oh acted. Oh my God, really? Yeah, I did not know that. He was supposed to go to. I think UCLA for acting and then COVID happened and he never got to go wow. to school. And then he submitted an audition tape and crazy. He got this role. He is so good. Michelle Williams is amazing. Paul Dana. It's, um, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. He's really good. I um, love that. man. Actually, Seth Rogen is in it as, uh, uncle Benny and he's also great. It's actually great. the best Seth Rogen I've ever seen. Yeah. Judd Hirsch comes in for a brief appearance. <laughs> Funny one. Brief, explosive appearance. Um, and again, he's only in the film for, I think, at most 10 minutes, but I, they're already talking about nominating him. Oh, my God. All of that's great. I don't I don't dislike the movie. I just, I don't love it. I, I, I don't for dislike the movie. For me, it's a strange movie. reaction yeah. to a Spielberg film. But it didn't feel, it didn't feel like, art. Oh, I keep saying this because I can't describe it any it other way. It just felt rambling. Um, and I, and... And I was like, all right, if I didn't know that this movie was based on his life, would I enjoy the movie? And I'm like, no, it's still not. It doesn't feel like it. It's some. That's the. Th- I, you know what? You really touched on something. I think that might be the difference in my mind between The Fablemans and Belfast, which I feel like in Belfast, Kenneth Branagh, whether he succeeded or not, he was attempting to turn his story into art. Right. Uh, and. I felt like he mostly accomplished that, even though it was highly sentimental art. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that he accomplished, he, he constructed a piece that felt complete, that felt like there was a theme and a point to it, and and he sold right. it all the way through. I have a really hard time coming to, okay, what was the point to this movie other yeah. than to just show us snippets of Steven Spielberg's life as a child? Uh, fictionalized, because they're the Fablemans, they're not the Spielbergs. The other thing that I think is, it's not for me to criticize him for this, but I I, I feel I have to point this out. Um, Sammy Fableman, uh, the, the ostensible Steven Spielberg, and the real Steven Spielberg both express or have expressed at times um, uh, issues with being Jewish in the world mm-hmm. because uh, Sammy gets... Um, I mean, there are some pretty horrific scenes of him being bullied for being the only Jewish kid in his school. And in L.A. because... you know It was because, Arizona. Oh, but then they moved to they L.A. They later moved yeah. to L.A. Um, all of this tracks with Steven Spielberg's life. Um, so I just... Again, it's not for me to criticize this, but I could not help thinking it's really interesting that he cast two non-Jewish actors as his parents. And I had to go look. I'm like, maybe I'm wrong, but Michelle Williams isn't Jewish and neither is Paul Dano. And it's like, well, the whole point of the movie was about this kid the anti-Semitism mm-hmm. that he felt and the somewhat the embarrassment that he felt. Interesting, I didn't, I didn't and know that. I'm pretty sure everyone else in the film, Judd Hirsch, Seth Rogen, uh, you know, the the mother-in-law, um, they're all played by Jewish actors. It's, again, not for me to... It was the same thing when when uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel came out. It wasn't for me to, make, to criticize that choice to cast an Irish mm-hmm. actress as a Jewish woman, but I did think it was odd. Yeah, but um, from an outsider point of view, it feels like a missed opportunity. But that's just, you know, like, why not yeah, cast? I but mean, that's just me not, you know, not I, being to Jewish. To be perfectly blunt, I had a hard time buying Michelle Williams as a Jewish mother. Right. Um, she And I mean, the point is made. It's not, you know, whatever. Um... It just stuck. It just, I couldn't not notice it. It Since this was part of the story, since both the story in the film and the story of Steven Spielberg's life, mm-hmm. it's really strange to me that you didn't cast Jewish people as your own parents. Right. When your Jewish identity is part, it's so much a part of the story. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, Put both movies together uh, side by side, like you know, West Side Story, and, oh. and then um, the Fable and the Fable, the Fables, the Fablemans. <laughs> um, put them together, and you know, by the same director. I mean, you can see the West Side Story. It was, it was filled, filled with art. It was art, blood. You know, yeah. like, and this doesn't. To me, it doesn't. It I doesn't. mean, it, it, you might have a completely different reaction. This critic certainly did. Well, critics like to like things. Um, That's not true. <laughs> That's yes, not true at all. Yeah, they like to like 
they they like to be they like to go against the grain most of the time. Anyway, um, my point is that it felt like I was watching home videos, and 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 you know, um, not particularly interesting. Ones. Not particularly not particularly interesting one. At, you know, at some parts of the movie, I was like, really, are we still doing this? It's just going on forever. It here. went on and um, on and on and on and on. And that's how I felt. Having said that, I kind of enjoyed the movie. I was a little disappointed. But the performances are also great, so it's not a horrible movie, or it's not no, a mo- no, 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 it's not. By, but it's just, you know, I guess you 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 think of Steven Spielberg, and then you just expect something bigger. I, you know, okay. So, uh, do you remember the opening scene where his parents take him to the movies for the first time, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. little Sammy? It's like mm-hmm. this little five, six, seven year old actor. And right off the bat, I was like, oh, we're in Spielberg land because the camera was yeah, swooping yeah, around. Right, right. And it was moving in response to who was talking. And, and it felt very Spielberg right from the beginning. And then it dies. Are there any other Spielberg touches that you can no, remember? No. It, uh, Spielberg is known for his compositions. He's known for his camera movement. He's known for the way he uses music in a soaring sort of way. Right. He's known for manipulating emotions in a, in a way that I think only Hitchcock was able to master. And I didn't get any of that from this film. I don't know if he felt like he needed to tamp all that stuff down, but right. it seems strange to me that Steven Spielberg was doing a movie about his life and decided to remove as many Spielbergian touches from the filmmaking as he could. I'm, Creative touches. I yeah, think. like why, <clears throat> why, why am I not seeing more of that camera movement that you're known for? Do you remember the gym scene in West yeah. Side? I it cried just, when I saw just, that scene. It just felt like, all right, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you my story and this is what happened, you know, from A to B to C to, you know, just, yeah. Point by point, right? Um, and uh, you know, it it was interesting at some points, but kind of boring. Like any home video that right. you watch, that right. you get tired at some point. Um, but that's how it felt. I also thought it was interesting that there is a resolution to the real Steven Spielberg's uh, story with his parents that I will not get into here. But you should watch the documentary if you're interested. That's completely left out of this story. Mm-hmm. It it ends rather abruptly with everything sort of hanging in the air. I mean, so, it has a very sentimental ending with the young kid on the on the Universal lot, I think, or the, maybe it's the Paramount lot. I think it was a Universal lot um, where he meets, you know, this director, this famous director. It's cute. It's all cute. But I just don't think it added up to enough, um, especially like when it gets to his high school years and he faces all this horrible anti-Semitism and he just sort of bounces through it. And then that ends. It it, it just felt like like you watching the his story and of course it is his story but it just felt like okay this is where he went to the movie theater for the first time then they moved then this happened then, then they moved this again happened. then, then this they moved happened. again then he went to school and you know it was just like oh okay facts, facts yeah i mean facts. you could have done if you're doing a fictionalized version you could have constructed a story that had more of a an arc to it i just didn't feel like any of that was happening i don't hate this film i if i were to give this I don't like doing grades, but when I'm so conflicted about something, I feel like I have to end with a grade. So, I mean, I would call this a solid B. Spielberg does not make bad movies. No. He's too talented. But for me, I thought, I thought this was disappointing. Um, and what mostly what elevates it is the astonishingly good acting. Right, Everybody no. across the Michelle board is Williams great. Michelle Williams is amazing. And if his mother was... A, just a little bit like Michelle Williams. If she was, then she was a any, any, a very interesting woman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watch the, the documentary again. His mother was a lot, and Michelle Williams is a lot, a lot to deal with in this movie. But she's phenomenal. She is. She's amazing. absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, and her costumes are great. Oh she, yeah, she, that yellow dress she wears when she's playing the piano. I'm like, oh my god, that's gorgeous. Okay, this concludes yes, the Siskel and Ebert. Um, Two thumbs up and two thumbs down, I guess. No, I'm not giving the Fablements a thumbs down. Anyway, moving on from movie talk, let's return to the world of the royals. Um, and I think I think I don't have a lot to say. No, because I, I, I don't. Because I think we devoted yeah. an entire hour to talking about them last week. Um, but uh, I guess for this a sense of completion, we should come in and, and do our mm-hmm. little wrap-up on the final three episodes. I got to say... Um, I didn't love the, the second half of this series was it was never a strong series it's six episodes and the, but the second half was actually weaker than the first um, they sprinkled some some 
you know, slight, I wouldn't call any of it shocking, but they sprinkled a few th- few meaty things in there about the family. And then the rest of it for most of three hours was just how great their life is and how great their house is and how great their kids are and how great their wedding was and how great it was to be dating. I mean, it's just all for the fans, for the Sussex fans. So I particularly am not interested in seeing every the inside of every single house they ever lived in or Archie's birthday party or any of that. None of that really interests me. Um, and there's a lot of that in the second half. Sprinkled throughout that second half is a few allegations against... Um, mostly against William, although um, King Charles comes in for a couple criticisms as well. And they are named, named as people who basically either lied about them, the Sussexes or ordered other people to lie about them to the press. And that's, that's harsh. That's, and like everything else they revealed about the family, the press, and, and what they went through in the first three episodes, that is abs- like, go ahead. That's your right. If you want to get this off your chest and if you were done wrong by your family, mm-hmm. absolutely. None of that bothered me. And I did turn to you. I did say the fifth episode was probably, even though the second half of the season was a season, uh, series was. Um, Don't say season. Weak. <laughs> I do think, epi- I think it's episode five, where they really talk about basically what Megan meant to. Um, Britons of color and and people in Commonwealth nations. Yes, and and I turned to you and I was like, "Say what you will about the two of them, they are dead right that the family." Re- and we said this at the time: the family really fucked up by not giving her. But they really should have figured out a way mm-hmm. uh, because um, she was or could have been one of the biggest assets to the family in the 21st century, you know, in terms of keeping Commonwealth countries in the Commonwealth, in terms of reaching out to people who don't look like the Royal family, that sort of thing. She, and they, maybe they were too ambitious in their thinking, the two of them, they, cause they basically pitched her like, this is what she's going to be good for. And um, the family doesn't like to be told what to do. Courtiers and, and, and the men in gray suits, they certainly don't like to be told what to do. Um, but I do think the one good thing about this second half, the strongest thing about this second half was pointing out what an asset she could have been to that family yes. and how much she actually did want to be an asset to the family. Like all the stuff about the Grenfell Fire women and the cookbook, like all that was great. It was right. like all of this series, it's self-aggrandizing, it's propaganda to to build up Harry and Meghan. But like I said, I turned to you and I was like, they're absolutely right about all of this. What she did with those Grenfell women, no tea, no shade, but Kate would not be capable of that kind of work. Not because Kate's a terrible person, but because A, she's white, and B, she's the future Queen of England, which means she, it's just not in her right. to go around hugging women right. in hijabs <laughs> and cooking with them. That's right. not the, That's not who she can be. That is, and Diana was the same way. Di- they really really draw the diana comparisons all the time heavily and it is quite clear that you could say oh and i think they did say history is repeating and it's like "Mm, you two are pursuing a history that is very much in line with diana like uh, that was deliberate i mean they're they really have modeled themselves as as diana's successors and in some ways that's probably true because william is going to be charles's successor but I think they have modeled their life quite a bit on Diana. I think the reason we kept seeing the Panorama interview, which William said should never be aired again, mm-hmm. but we kept seeing clips of that Panorama interview. And I said this to you, I'm like, they have modeled this whole series on that one interview. This whole series is the Panorama interview, but six <laughs> hours long. Um, I Go ahead, I'm talking I, a lot. I wonder how much was... Um, deleted or or cut you know because uh because of the queen dying and all that i don't we don't know i mean how much i i I wonder um it listen as i as we said before this is for the fans Uh, it really is the whole six no one's mind's gonna get changed it's for the fans right uh and and it and it's great for the fans you you get to see home videos you get to see you know personal pictures and and the house and and you know both living a quote unquote normal life, and you right. see all that, uh, and so that's 
you, you appreciate that if you like them. Uh, but it does feel like propaganda. It is. It is. They're selling a promotion. product. Yeah. It, it's promotional. They're selling a product here, which, you know, whatever. More power to you. It's a yeah. hundred million. You got a hundred million dollars. You got a hundred million dollars. You can't forget that. Right. Uh, it does feel, uh, the second three hours, uh, it does feel that it's clear that uh, Harry has some serious issue with his brother. Uh, oh, they were very yeah. open about, shockingly yeah. open about yeah. that. Yeah, so, well, so it, it's very clear. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that got, everybody else got involved, his wife and everything else. But right. it, it's clear that the two This whole to, complex is between yeah. the two brothers. Charles is peripherally involved. He has disappointed Harry right. in many different ways. But this really is Margaret and Elizabeth point. Right. 2.0. It is the same story. I find it a little strange, and again, be, maybe stuff got deleted, that's why I mentioned that, is that he keeps talking about the press all the time. And I'm not saying the press is not to be to blame, but he doesn't blame much of the royal family in general. I mean, no, he, it, he talks about his brother and things that happened with his brother, but that's it. Um, he never blames the the, uh, the the he kind of blames the institution or or he talks about the institution, but not specific people in the family. <clears throat> not specific people. Brother. Yes, he talks about it, but that's that's the end of it. It's very much about the press. How horrible the press is. Going back to what you said, is the Diana thing. Um, right. It's the press. It's the press. And I'm not saying the press isn't horrible. I mean, the press is absolutely horrific. The whole thing with the letter, it, it was just There's no oh my god. There's, There's no, no defending that, and the fact that she had to fight so hard and for so long. Right. You know, um, to get a shitty apology. It wasn't even an, an acknowledgement that it, she won. That yeah, was it. exactly. So that is horrible. Right. That's absolutely horrible that she had to go through that, especially considering that they told her to write the letter, according to... to right, the royal family told her to. Yeah, the royal family told her to write the letter. And then when the letter is out there for everyone to read, they never protected her, never defended no. her. And I think that's the point here that I get um, and the resentment I feel from both of them is that they never took her side. The Royal family no, never they took never the did. institution, the Royal family, they never took her side, which is absolutely horrible. Uh, they're always, you know, protecting uh, the other two. I mean, when, when, when Kate had her nude pictures, remember or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they were all over protecting both of them. Right. Um, but not these two, which is, that's why. Absolutely. They're yeah. grievances. I've said this all along. All of their grievances are right. absolutely right. correct, and I don't blame them one bit for airing them. Um, however, uh, six hours is excessive. Right. All of the, we love each other so much, look at all these beautiful places right, right. We, we live in, like all of that got to be way too much. And when I really threw my hands up in the air, I was like, oh, Jesus, I don't know if these two are naive lying to me or just idiots but when they started talking about the oprah interview right and megan i think they both but mostly megan expresses just shock we didn't we thought it was going to be about this but it turned out to be everyone focused on the story about the skin color of my baby and i'm like yeah are you really that dumb are you really that dumb that you didn't you dropped that bombshell in there which i don't blame you for dropping there's, I have a really hard time believing that the, it, it you blindsided both, yeah. you. Like, oh, that's what everyone focused on? What? Either you're completely naive about the press, right. which everything else in this six hours tells me that you're not. Um, or, I'm sorry, you're kind of bullshitting me. This is like the thing about, well, I never did any research, and I didn't know I was supposed to curtsy, and I'm like, I, I, or I wore beige because of the queen. I, I don't, mm, mm, mm. You knew that was the bombshell. Just admit that was the bomb. Even Oprah. I reacted mean, like shock. holy shit it turned into a oprah's reaction turned into a meme right and you're telling me you didn't see that coming you you thought they were all going to focus on your what complaints about the press of course of course that is the that was the headline and it's just it annoys me when they said when they pull shit like that because when they when they pretend when they tell you that it caught how 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 could this have caught you off guard? You just accused an unnamed member of the royal family right. of racism and colorism, and you're you you're surprised that right. that was the takeaway. Come I mean, on, it's very clear to me that he resents the fact that you know. Um, William gets more stuff than he does. Yes, and I don't blame him. It, I don't blame him, but at the same time, it is the freaking institution. I mean, yeah, the man I mean, is going to be the it. king. So, right. of course, they're going to protect him more. And I and he resents that. And I think that, 
okay, uh, I I understand your point of view, but at the same time, you've been with this institution your entire life. You knew that th- these people are not going to change. Exactly suffering. No, I mean you live a life of wealth. It's and also privilege. very clear to me that he struggles uh, with both worlds. That he kind of appreciates the royal family world. Well, yeah, and, it's the only and, life he knew. And his life in California. I, it, it's very clear to yeah, me that... Yeah, he loves being Tyler Perry's best friend. He likes both. from Beyonce and everything. He, he yeah. likes both, and he has a hard time letting one go. Again, back to letting things go. But, um, I, so I, I understand all that, but one of the things I, I feel that they never touched or they never did uh, throughout the entire freaking six hours is that they never blamed themselves for anything. No, they never made a mistake. No, they never made a mistake. It was always somebody else. And believe me, a lot of people made a lot of mistakes. But there is no self-anything throughout the I entire I totally time. agree with that. That's yeah. going to get you in trouble for oh, saying I, that. I, well, whatever. There's not a lot of self-reflection no, no, as to isn't. what they could have done So you're telling or... me that you never, there's nothing you regret that right. you did that could have changed? I mean, just give me that. Right. Um uh, the other thing I had... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. I'm not saying that they were wrong. They were horribly wrong, all right. of them. The family, the, the press, everybody. Um, what they did to her was absolutely horrible. Actually, Harry did mention that he was... I will, I, I will backtrack and say Harry did mention that um, he's embarrassed at the way he reacted to her suicidal ideation, and he was basically a bad husband to her at that time. Um, yeah. So it's not that they uh, never admit there. certain yeah. things. He dropped and it crumb. should be yeah. stated here that there really wasn't anything Megan could have done to make the various people happy because no. the, they weren't unhappy with Megan because of who, of things she did. They were unhappy with Megan because she was an American biracial woman I who understand. used to be an actress. They were never going to accept I understand, her. but she always, she always came uh, uh, across... It's, it's, shocked by people's reaction there was no there is no moment right. uh that she says well we expected that or we something yes we expected that this is what i expected and this is what i get no she always reacts as if she was shocked for you know shocked um that people reacted that way right. and i'm not just talking about racism i'm talking about everything and and i hope i never and i mean yes, and i hope i never have to talk about this these two again honestly ever, because I, no matter what we say people attack us you know so well, Whatever. So, I yeah. Same thing with Catherine. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, again, like, um, it really tends to throw the whole thing into question. Although I don't question the truth of what happened to them, but the way they tend to frame it, I just have to roll my eyes because I'm like, this. If this is true, you're either completely unself-aware, or you're kind of just feeding me a line of bullshit. And at the very end of the scene, I burst out laughing. One of them, I believe it was Megan, said. Um, you know, we're putting all this behind us. We're looking forward. And I'm like, honey, I just watched six hours of you obsessing over the past. That's your right. But you don't get to end it by saying we're looking forward. Clearly, you're not. And he's got a book coming out. And he's going to have to do a book tour. And that's going to be another year of you two talking about this. You're not looking forward. And in, in my opinion, that is the major problem with the two of you. Um, I... Don't blame them for revealing the things that they revealed about the family, most of which wasn't all that. But uh, but I also felt like, all right, if you two don't realize that you have nailed the coffin shut at this point, then I I just don't have a lot of time right. for you. Like, right. if you still think that Charles should be giving your kids uh, HRH titles or whatever after what what. He's not going to do it now. You just badmouth him and his successor in a six-hour documentary. If they're still complaining a year from now that their kids don't have... I'm just going to be like, look, you two need to just cut your tie. And I actually... I never cared that they that Meghan and Harry kept their titles. I believe the Queen insisted that they keep their titles. She did not want to strip them. Because it looks bad for the family. Um but honestly, at the end of the six hours, I was like, I kind of need you two to just, you need to be Harry and Meghan Mountbatten Windsor because, I mean, you've you've trashed the institution and I get why you trashed it. I'm not a big fan of the institution either, but you can't trash that institution and still expect to be a part of it. You right. know what I mean? That's just not how it's going to work. Not just trashed, but you also went through hell. So why would you why? even want anything exactly. to do with them? You're rich. Beyonce texts you all the time. Tyler Perry <laughs> lets you live wherever you want. 
live your lives. Yeah, live, just move this on. This just becomes very, this is why I said back when the queen died and uh, I said, I don't feel like Harry and Meghan are completely out. And I still don't feel, I think Harry and Meghan have not cut ties as effectively as they could have. Right. Because if they really had cut ties, they wouldn't be making the six-hour And I wish them the very best. I think I they do. have I think they have a lot to offer. Uh, she has a lot of experience. They're both really charming he and also, funny and cute. Yeah, and she's done a lot. Uh, in she terms, has. Yeah, she's, I was surprised. I didn't know much about it. And she's, she's she she has helped a lot. Right. She has participated in a lot of things. Uh, he has done the same. So I wish them the very best. I think they need to move on. Because I think there'll be better people if they just move on to something else. Right. Um, I don't know what that life is. Right. Because honestly, um, if they were Meghan and Harry Mountbatten Windsor, would they even have this documentary? Would Harry have gotten that book deal? Be- the, the thing is, they're, they've created this weird hybrid life of living in America and being media figures, but also holding on to the trappings of royalty um because if they let go of the trappings of royalty what is their brand are they going to get hundred million dollar deals if he's not prince harry that's kind of the question that hangs in the air over the two of them i don't think they'll ever go back to royal life not really but um in in five months uh there's a coronation coming oh and what the hell are they not gonna go i i find that hard to believe on the other hand, how how desperately uncomfortable would that be to sh- to be at that event? Like, uh, look how uncomfortable they were at the Queen's funeral. Right. Um, why would anybody want them there? Uh, but they're going to want to be there. He is the son of the king. Exactly. So they. It is just a very sort of weird, messy situation that that I still hold on to. I just don't think it's done. Done. Um their their royal life they'll never actually return to it um and they are honestly pretty loathed in england i mean the the british press absolutely loathes them and has basically turned the public against them so i don't know i think they've created a life for themselves that you know they're never going to be poor that's for damn sure but i don't know how much this pseudo royal life that you know in america is sustainable over the long term are you just going to keep doing projects about about where are you going to, how are you going to make your money? Um, if you're not talking about right. your royal life, that's the bottom line. Um, not that they need money that much. Not yeah, really. They just got a hundred million dollars. And I don't even know how much he got for that book. I mean, he probably oh got 50 God. million for yeah. the book. I don't yeah. know. It's, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. They're fine. They're fine. Um, I do agree. Uh, oh, one more thing that they actually were really good about putting across is their security issues oh yeah that their was, security that issues was are yeah. insane yeah. and they are worse than other royals because white supremacists are going after them yes yes so yes. there is an element of danger involved in their lives that is greater than for instance kate and william or yeah. even Charles and Camilla, even though you know, I'm sure there's plenty of assassination. Yeah. You know, true, but they but she doesn't have to deal with racism the way Megan has. That's the thing, and I think they effectively conveyed how scary that life is, right? Um, and why? And I said this last week, not to defend wealthy people too much, but they need to pay for the best security in the world in order yes. just to live their lives, and that is that costs money that his father's not willing to pay. So yeah, sign the $100 million deal, get the $50 million book deal, because they got to pay for a lifestyle that where security is built into it. Right. One of the things that was a little strange was that they talked about helicopters circling overhead at, at um, Tyler Perry's house and how they had to build a fence and everything. Is that not happening in Montecito? What made that? What made all that go away? Are there not drones flying over your house? Everyone knows where the house is, or they could find it out. So it just dropped. And I, I'm that left me. It was one of the few things where I was like, "Well, now I want to learn more." I'm sure they do. Um, I don't know. They stopped. There's no mention of it when they talk about their perfect life because it didn't fit the narrative of like hell and then paradise. Now, maybe. All right. Um, I believe that's it. Yeah. And I am going to get yelled at. We're all. Go we're both going to get yelled at. What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yes, we'd like to hear what you think. Absolutely. And, um, 
but not if you're going to yell at us. And we'll be back. Oh, we actually might not be back next week. It's it, it, Christmas it, it, week, and right. we are probably doing some traveling and doing some Christmassy yeah. stuff. So I can't guarantee that we'll be back next week, but we will be back before the end of the year. Yes. Right? Yeah, yes, we'll do yeah. one the week of... Uh, yeah. So we'll be back in two weeks with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Until then, those of you who are celebrating have a very Merry Christmas. Yes. Um, those of you who are skipping it, enjoy enjoy watching movies and and ordering chinese food or doing whatever you i think there's any way of handling this holiday oh is the God, right yeah. way to handle it if that's what you want i totally agree um and of course to, many people don't observe at all because it's not their religion uh, also hanukkah's coming up so happy hanukkah to all of our listeners and yeah. we will be back in two weeks with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks tab <laughs> hunter is rolling around on yeah. top of our equipment uh so we better go before he accidentally pushes a button or something uh until then love you mean it bye you bye